Well, good evening. Welcome to our evening worship service here at Long Hill Baptist Church in Trumbull, Connecticut. It's good for me to be back in the church tonight. Look forward to having uh, the rest of you back here very shortly. We, we hope uh, to have everyone back uh, here in the building a week from today on Sunday morning, but just continue to pray uh, for wisdom in that regard, if you would. Give you a quick update here. My quarantine has ended today. I praise God for that. I'm feeling really well, uh, really no significant issues at this point, so I'm very thankful. Uh, Carolyn is out of quarantine. Art is out of quarantine. Uh, Marilyn is still dealing with some challenges, uh, and Brother Ray has started quarantine recently, but they're uh, overall, overall, we praise God that um, things have gone much better than they might have uh, without the Lord's help, without his protection. So we, we take a moment tonight, we praise God for that, we thank him for that. I want to ask you to turn uh, back to Psalm chapter 9. I want to begin there tonight. Um, of course, we looked at Psalm 9 last week, so I really just want to review uh, and allow that to set the stage to provide some context for Psalm 10 tonight, and we'll look, we'll look at Psalm 10. Let's go ahead and open in prayer, and um, we'll jump in here. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you, Lord. I thank you for the uh, opportunity to be back in the church tonight at the pulpit, uh, live streaming tonight. Thank you for uh, getting me through my quarantine, for healing me, Lord, for having your hand upon me, and I, I pray the same for uh, brothers and sisters who are still dealing uh, with affliction. Lord, we ask tonight that uh, you would work here in this message, and uh, of course, I pray tonight for each one who's listening live, and as well as for those who may listen later on or in the coming days. I pray tonight, Lord, that you'll use me, that you'll help me to yield to you and know you're leading tonight, and Lord, that um, you'll just work and accomplish exactly what you desire to accomplish through your words tonight. Uh, Father, I pray that you not allow me to say anything that would be against your will tonight, Lord, but I would simply be yielded to you and that uh, you, would, you would work through me, your instrument. Lord, I love you tonight. I thank you. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So jump right in here to uh, Psalm chapter 9. I want to go back and uh, pick this up or, again, as I said, allow uh, the end of Psalm 9 to kind of set the stage for Psalm 10. Uh, some of the commentators that, that you might read will uh, look at Psalm 10 and say, well, it seems to pick up uh, right where Psalm 9 ends. And so often it's been viewed by many commentators as uh, sort of a part two or a continuation uh, of Psalm 9. We uh, don't see it literally that way, but uh, it, it perhaps is intended by God, by God to be kind of a part two or a follow-up uh, to Psalm chapter 9. Look back in uh, chapter 9, beginning in verse 15. I want to look at the last four or five verses here and just be reminded here, uh, David, uh, the psalmist, uh, has been praying uh, in addressing the Lord's righteous judgment regarding the wicked. Uh, and the wicked are compared in verse uh, 18 with the needy. Uh, so the prideful, uh, wicked, prideful uh, uh, oppressors of, of the needy, uh, of the humble, needy people. This is uh, the context here uh, that's established. 
uh, David addresses the fact that the Lord is a righteous judge of the wicked. Uh, and he prays not only that the Lord would deal with prideful, wicked oppressors of the poor and needy, but that the Lord would justly, righteously uh, make things right for those who had been oppressed by the wicked. I want you to see this. I want to make a couple comments about it, and then we'll jump into chapter 10. So uh, here in chapter 9, verse 15, the Bible says, The heathen are sunk down, these wicked, prideful ones, in the pit that they made, in the net which they hid, is their own foot taken. They suffer consequences of their wickedness. And verse 16 says this, The Lord is known by what? The judgment uh, which he executeth. We have a just God who executes judgment, not always um, exactly when we would want him to, not always on our timeline, but he is a just God who, execute judge, who executes judgment against the wicked. He says, the wicked is snared in the work of his, uh, of his own hands, say law. The Bible talks in verse 17 here about a future judgment of the wicked. The, uh, David continues, the wicked shall be turned into hell in uh, all the nations that forget God. So uh, we understand there's a future judgment of the wicked, prideful, wicked oppressors who are unrepentant, who never come to the Lord in faith, uh, they're going to suffer the judgment of God. It'll be just. It'll be perfectly just when the unrepentant are cast uh, permanently into a very real hell. Of course, anyone who would come to Christ humbly, uh, bow their heart before him, repent of sin, and place their faith in him could be forgiven uh, and saved from hell. Uh, the unrepentant, of course, will, will not be. They'll face the, the just judgment uh, of a very real God. Now see verse 18. Uh, so the psalmist continues in verse 18, for the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. God is going to, in the future, deal with the wicked oppressors of God's people. Those who would seek to take advantage of the less fortunate. God is going uh, to deal with them. And God is going to justly bless um, the needy, the poor, uh, those who have less, those who were oppressed and abused uh, by wicked oppressors. God is going to uh, judge and punish the oppressor, uh, and God is going to restore uh, and justly restore blessings to uh, the humble, needy, poor ones. We praise God for that tonight. We praise God. Uh, you may be someone tonight who says, you know what, I've suffered uh, oppression of, of, of different people. I've suffered uh, at, the, at the hands of wicked, prideful people who uh, have treated me unfairly. Um, and I would say to that, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, but I would also say tonight, be encouraged that God is a just God who will right that wrong in eternity. Perhaps not this side of eternity, perhaps not this side uh, of heaven, perhaps not this side of the millennial reign of Christ. But in the end, God is a just God who is going to execute perfect justice. Uh, he will judge and deal with the wicked, and he will mete out blessings uh, to the righteous. Uh, to his people. And I praise God for that tonight. Uh, as I've thought about last uh, Sunday night's message and thought about, uh, this, well, two nights, two Sunday nights back, I guess, and thought about this message also, 
uh, you, can't, you can't help but stop and think about uh, the current, uh, what's being called the social justice movement uh, in the world. And, you know, it's, it's everywhere. We, we see it in the news. We, uh, we see references to it in, in media. You, you really can't escape this idea. Uh, there is a very significant concerted effort uh, underway in our culture today uh, to, quote, redistribute resources and advantages to the disadvantaged to achieve social and economic equality uh, and to employ the power and force of government uh, to right all perceived wrongs. And uh, we understand this is, this is a major theme, a major uh, political and social force in our world today. Now, I am aware tonight that uh, many Christians have uh, looked at this movement and, and said, well, I, I don't really see anything wrong with that. Uh, God calls his people, God is just. God calls his people to act justly, uh, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Micah 6, 8, uh, the Lord called his people to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with the Lord thy God. Understand that. God's just God and has always desired that his people would act justly toward one another. Uh, in the New Testament, we have verses like Matthew 7 and verse 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would do, that men would do to you, do even so unto them. For this is law uh, and the prophets, um, a commandment that uh, appeals to our sense of justice and uh, would be consistent with the Lord's, with the Lord's justice. And so uh, many Christians have looked at this so, quote-unquote social justice effort in the world and said, I don't, I don't really see any problem with that because in some ways at least I can relate it to uh, God's character and to his uh, call upon our individual lives. I want to stop tonight and say this. God is a just God, and he has called us to act justly as individuals toward one another. However, we also need to understand biblically, God has not called governments to take up a social justice cause and to right historical uh, present or historical wrongs by forcefully redistributing resources and advantages to the disadvantaged in order to achieve social and economic equality. That is not a mission or a purpose that God has given uh, to government. God has called government uh, to be in the business of punishing evildoers and for the praise of them uh, that do well, First Peter. That's that's the role of government. You say, well, doesn't that allude to some of these social justice themes? Well, yes, we understand government has uh, a role in terms of uh, taking or performing retribution against the, the lawbreaker, uh, and even at times a, a, a biblical uh, role in um, seeing that some individual who has wronged another person uh, will pay restitution uh, toward that person. But understand tonight this, that that is a individual level, a one-on-one. -on -one. one person wrongs another person, government steps in and uh, punishes the, the wrongdoer and, and uh, calls them to make restitution uh, to the one they've harmed. That's one-on-one. -on -one. That's not one class of people versus another class of people. Uh, and it's not the government uh, stepping in and uh, taking, uh, arguably unjustly, from one class of people and redistributing it to another class of people that have perceived some 
uh, present or historical wrongdoing. So we have to take care tonight to understand that God has not called government to be in the business of uh, affecting or carrying out these social justice policies that uh, redistribute uh, wealth or advantage uh, based on some perception of unjustness or, or wrongdoing. Um, I don't intend any of that to be political at all. I, I intend for this to be a, a biblical assessment of what's happening in our world today uh, and, and to compare that, contrast that to God's answer uh, to uh, injustice, injustice, uh, social injustice, if, if you will. Uh, God has an answer uh, for um, injustice. He has an answer for mistreatment of the underprivileged by uh, prideful oppressors. God does have an answer for that. It's not a governmental answer. Uh, it's not a big government solution that seeks to redistribute uh, financial gain or advantages based on perceived injustices. That's not God's answer. It's not God's plan. You will not find that uh, in the Bible. You can try, but uh, an honest assessment will lead you to the conclusion that it's simply not there. Uh, what is there is the constant teaching that we have a just God who calls us to appeal to him and him alone when we have been uh, treated unjustly. Now understand if that involves some breaking of civil law, there can be a governmental involvement in righting a personal wrong committed by an individual against you. We've already acknowledged that. But uh, the, the bigger context or bigger perspective of some social injustice uh, being committed against me and possibly others like me uh, on the basis of my membership in some class of people, uh, God has not called a government to right that wrong. I'm not saying it's not wrong. Of course, we understand that there is great injustice in our world today. Uh, we understand there's racism, let me try that again, racism, ethnocentricity. Uh, there's all kinds of injustice and racism uh, in our world today. That's wrong. That's wrong. God has not called government to be the writer of that wrong. God has called individuals to act according to his word. We are called as his people to act according to his word, to act justly one toward another. And we are called as people who sometimes are mistreated, treated unjustly or oppressed in some way, shape, or form um, to seek a solution, to seek some righting of the wrong uh, from the Lord, from the Lord. Not looking to government to always be the answer, but looking to our God to be the answer to every problem that we face. Pastor, are you being political or are you just making that up? No. Listen, if, if the Bible taught something different, I'd be saying something different tonight. But the Bible teaches us to not look to government, but rather to look to God, to look to the Lord, to be the righter of wrongs. And that's a principle that Christians need to become reacquainted with tonight. Uh, it's a principle that we need to become reacquainted with. Uh, so often, uh, we've, we've talked over the years, in a general sense at least, of a our, our politics and our political philosophy should ideally be guided by scripture. Um, I don't mean for that to be overly political, but I, our, our political philosophy, just like any other philosophy that we may hold to in life, should be informed by 
guided by scripture. Well, scripture uh, informs our position and our response uh, to injustice, to injustice, to uh, oppression. And tonight I want us to see just that. Uh, I want us to see that. So let's jump back in here tonight. And with that lengthy introduction, you forgive me for that, but I want to be sure to kind of set the context and lens through which I want to view this passage tonight. I'm so thankful tonight that the Word of God is relevant. (laughs) It remains relevant to all of the issues that we deal with in our world today. Uh, I'm thankful for that. I'm so very thankful for that. And so we should not be surprised to see that Hey, uh, our, our culture that's dealing with uh, injustices and, and various issues, uh, God has an answer for that. He has an answer for that. It's uh, believers choosing to treat each other rightly, justly, understanding that we have an obligation to the Lord to do that. Uh, and the second part of that equation is looking to God to be a writer of wrongs. See verse 10, uh, forgive me, Psalm 10, Psalm 10, uh, verse 1, the psalmist opens with a question. He says to the Lord, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? The psalmist, uh, Lord understands, the psalmist understands uh, tonight that it seems like at times uh, God doesn't act justly. He allows unjust or unjust uh, things things to happen. Uh, He will allow people to act unjustly, to oppress others. Uh, There's no question that at times God does that. Uh, We may presume, based on scripture tonight, that he has a reason for that. Uh, This would be uh, perhaps an example of one of the trials that we see uh, James and other other men in scripture talking about as uh, trials that God uses to grow us spiritually. Uh, is it conceivable tonight the Lord might allow some injustice, some, some unjust uh, person to act wrongly toward me? The Lord would allow that as a trial to cause me to turn to the Lord for an answer, to rely upon him for an answer, for a solution uh, to that injustice. Yeah, I think that's, that's entirely conceivable tonight. Uh, and yet it does seem like the, uh, the Lord will um, delay uh, at times, righting a wrong. And I understand tonight that some of many of the wrongs that we experience uh, will not be righted this side of eternity, but they will be righted. In any event, the psalmist is um, reflecting this sentiment that many of us have felt at times, I'm sure. God, are you there? Why are you not stepping in to uh, deal with this oppressor, this wicked person? Why are you not stepping in to right this wrong right now? Well, I think we've answered that. God allows trials. Uh, to grow our reliance upon him. Well, the psalmist goes on and he begins to describe the wicked, these uh, wicked, prideful oppressors of the poor and needy. I want you to see here tonight the, these characteristics uh, that the psalmist describes. And what becomes clear uh, tonight is that um, their, um, their hearts, their behavior, their their minds, their mouths, their thinking, their behavior toward others uh, is uh, at the root, uh, at the foundation of the problem. The root of the problem are prideful hearts, uh, a desire to treat life like it's all about me, 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 me. I don't care about you, you, you. That's a, that's a wicked, prideful heart uh, that will lead us into sin uh, against others and, of course, against the Lord as well. Uh, See here in verse 2, 
the psalmist here describes the wicked. First of all, they have wicked hearts. Uh, they have, forgive me, they have prideful hearts, prideful hearts. Verse 2 says this, the wicked in his pride, the wicked in his pride doth what? Persecute the poor. Uh, there's, the, oppression is is real thing. I understand that. Uh, I'm not denying that. Uh, there's uh, historically, there have been classes of people who sought to persecute other classes of people. Historically, there have been classes of people who sought to take advantage of other classes of people. I understand that that, that that can be a real thing, and historically, and perhaps to some extent today, remains uh, a real thing. Uh, individuals who, uh, who act that way are acting out pride in their hearts. You understand that sin... Uh, Sin that we act out almost always reflects some problem in the heart. Uh, things that we act out reflect what's in our heart. Uh, the externals that are visible in our life reflect uh, the internals, uh, the condition of the heart. You understand that tonight. Our, our hearts uh, are ultimately acted out in our lives. What we see uh, reflects the, the condition of our hearts. Uh, wicked oppressors uh, are motivated uh, most often by a pridefulness, uh, uh, the, the heart condition uh, that focuses one's attention and one's desires on oneself uh, to the exclusion of others. This is a pride problem. Of course, we, we look this morning at uh, one of the various temptations that Satan attacked Christ with. And just as he attacked Eve, uh, with the pride of life, the temptation to act pridefully. He tempted Christ with temptation uh, to act pridefully. Pride is a sin. Uh, pride is a sin. It's, it's, uh, it's a sinful condition of the heart that, that leads to uh, disobedience to the Lord. Now, uh, as we said this morning, the, the temptation to pride is not sin, but the giving in to the temptation to act pridefully cert certainly is sin. Uh, it certainly is sin. So uh, we see here the, uh, the temptation to take advantage of others uh, is rooted in a prideful heart. Uh, this prideful heart leads them to, uh, quote, persecute the poor. By the way, this word persecute here has little idea of flame. The underlying word has little literal idea of fire. Uh, in fact, it's elsewhere translated to pursue uh, hotly. Uh, pride in our hearts is like a fire that burns and can cause great harm to others when we fail to recognize and deal with the pride that can get caught, stored up in our hearts. And uh, I would just remind you this morning that um, Christ's answer to Satan's temptation to act pridefully uh, was to quote scripture that addressed the specific temptation. And uh, be reminded, please, that I gave you several verses this morning, uh, among many, just examples of, of verses from Scripture that you do well, we, we do well to store up in our hearts uh, as a weapon against, against pride. I gave you Proverbs 11:2. when pride cometh, uh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly or the humble is wisdom. Uh, Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. There's other verses we could look at, but um, verses that remind us of the sinfulness of pride and the practical and spiritual consequences of pride uh, be a great help to us to, to have those stored up in our hearts. 
be reminded also, of course, that um, the Lord is available to us to provide grace, strength spiritually, uh, to forsake pridefulness and to put that off and to put on a godly Christ-like humility uh, in its place. Let me say tonight, we can do that because of Christ. Our Savior is the one who's made that possible. Our salvation uh, in Christ is what's made that possible. Uh, our uh, indwelling by the Spirit of God and the availability of great power from him when we yield to him uh, is what makes this possible. But it all goes back to Christ uh, and the cross, a wonderfully humble Savior who is God the Son, uh, who was willing to lay down his life uh, to die for me and my sins so that I might escape a very real hell. Uh, we praise God. We praise God tonight. It's because of Christ that we can put off pride and put on humility in its place. Let's continue on here. I want you to see a number of things here. Uh, the psalmist wants us to see in verse 3. Of course, it's the Lord who's using the psalmist to show us this. Uh, the pride of the wicked uh, causes, encourages a, a, a sinful boastfulness. Look at verse 3. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire uh, and blesseth the covetous, the greedy, uh, whom the Lord abhorreth. Uh, isn't that interesting? Uh, today, isn't it interesting how we see righteousness being ridiculed and put down, but wickedness being exalted by the culture? When you have a culture that puts down righteousness and exalts wickedness, uh, that encourages people to boast about, their, about the wickedness in their hearts, their sinful inclinations. Uh, here it would be prideful inclinations specifically. The wicked boasts of his heart's desire and blesses the covetous. Uh, other ones who, are, uh, who tend to give in to the same sinful temptation. Uh, they uh, boast of their own sinful inclinations uh, and encourage others uh, who do the same. That's the world that we live in today. We understand this uh, all the way back in, uh, in the days of the psalmist. Uh, this was the case. It's still the case today. Uh, wicked people love to boast of their wickedness and to encourage others uh, to join them in that. Uh, this is rooted in a uh, uh, just a terrible, sinful pridefulness. Look at verse 4. Here we see the prideful hearts of the wicked cause them to neither seek God nor to even think of him. Well, let's read the verse. The wicked, uh, through, the what? through the pride of his countenance, uh, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. What is pride? Pride is a self-centeredness. Uh, pride says, I am all that I need. Uh, humility says, no, Christ is all that I need. Uh, if your heart is given over to pride and filled up with self-interest and self-desire uh, and living for self rather than living for the Lord, uh, it just makes sense. You're not, you're not going to be inclined to seek after God. God is not going to be in your thoughts uh, you're inclined to seek after yourself and those things that appeal to your pride and uh, those things that appeal to all of your lust. Get what I can get for me. Uh, forget about anyone else. Certainly, uh, I don't need God. I, I, I'm living for me. Pride says, I'm all that I need. Humility says, no, 
Christ is all that I need. Lord, help us. Help us to deal with prideful tendencies uh, in our hearts. Uh, the psalmist gives us some of the results uh, of this sin condition. Uh, firstly, in verse 5, uh, we see that the judgment of this person regarding the Lord and others uh, becomes twisted. Uh, verse 5 says, his ways are always grievous. The word underlying grievous has the idea, a literal idea of being twisted or, or convoluted. Uh, his ways are grievous. They're twisted and, and convoluted. He says, thy judgments are far above out of his sight. God's justice, God's judgments are just out of his sight. He's not looking to the Lord. He's only looking to himself and his own interests. Not interested in what God cares uh, about how he acts, uh, how he treats others, uh, how he allows pride to lead him around and to rule in his life. Uh, he doesn't care about that at all. The second part of verse 5 says, As for all his enemies, this interesting language, he puffeth. Uh, he puffeth at them. Uh, puffeth has the idea of blowing air, perhaps uh, angrily. This, this might be the idea. He just angrily puffs at others. He doesn't care about other people. If you're caught up in pride, the idea that you care about God or care about others just doesn't make sense. Uh, pride necessarily uh, involves you in yourself and your own interest to the exclusion of the Lord uh, and others. You, you puff. All you do is puff, puff, puff. You, uh, you uh, have no interest in God or others. It's a consequence of allowing yourself to get caught up in pridefulness. Verse 6 says this, He hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. You know what that verse means? Here's how I understand it. Uh, a person who's caught up in pride, rather than give, humbly given over to Christ, and humbly given over to uh, treating others according to the word of God, uh, this person... This person comes to a place, they arrive at a place where uh, they just assume that there'll never be any consequences for their actions. Who would mete out any consequences? I'm the king of my life. I'm the authority in my life. No one can tell me what to do. Uh, and therefore, there, there can never be, no one can ever impose any consequences on me. Well, that's just wrong, but that's how these people feel in their hearts when they allow their hearts to continue being filled uh, with pride. You understand tonight, feelings lie. <laughs> the Lord never lies to us. His words never lie to us. But our feelings will lie to us all the time. You, you allow yourself to be caught up in pride indefinitely. That affects your walk with the Lord. Uh, it affects your uh, relationships with one another. Uh, it affects um, you not only spiritually, but, but practically. Uh, it'll, allow, it'll allow you to get to a place where you become so hardened that you just have no interest in God and no concern about the consequences uh, of your choices. We see other consequences here. A heart filled with pride eventually bubbles up and comes out of the mouth. Uh, you know that. You understand that. What is in the heart uh, eventually is seen outwardly. I've, we've said that already tonight. Uh, your heart, if you allow it to fill with pride, if you don't ask the Lord to uh, empty your heart of prideful self-interest, uh, eventually it just fills up and fills up and fills up and eventually it boils over and what comes out of your mouth is no longer godly and righteous and Christ-like, uh, but becomes what? Verse 7, 
his mouth, that person, his mouth is full of cursing uh, and deceit uh, and fraud. Uh, cursing reflects pridefulness. Don't, don't miss that tonight. Uh, someone who is given over to cursing, uh, biblically, is someone who's given over to a prideful heart. Uh, cursing is sin, and if you allow yourself to continue in a habit of cursing, uh, you're allowing yourself to be caught up and to continue in prideful interest. Uh, cursing normally re reflects some exacerbation regarding some harm that I perceive being done to me. I'm unhappy with you or with this situation. I curse. Uh, I'm, I'm unhappy about my situation, my trial. I curse. Uh, why would you do that? If, if you're going through difficulty, uh, we're, we're to embrace that as an opportunity to grow spiritually. Why would you curse at a difficulty? Once you understand that God is working in all of our trials and all of those things that uh, we perceive to be difficulties, cursing at that doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, that's not a curse, that's a blessing. Difficulties, trials are blessings. Uh, COVID, it's an example of a trial. Uh, I promise you tonight that you get diagnosed with COVID, you're gonna draw close to the Lord. I promise you that. Uh, perhaps closer than you've been in, in, in a little while. That's a blessing. That's a blessing, I promise you. Mouth of the prideful wicked person is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. None of that sounds good. None of that sounds good. I want to point out quickly, don't want to take too much time here, but I want to point out quickly, uh, two words in that verse allude to uh, pridefully based, pride-motivated, uh, unjust oppression taking advantage of others. You have the word fraud here. You have the word fraud. Strong's notes that in the literal, uh, this, the underlying word has a little idea of cutting into pieces. Uh, one that, uh, actually Strong's also uh, suggests the, the word can allude to oppression. Just cutting someone in, in pieces, uh, using your mouth to cut someone down. Uh, to oppress them, uh, to put them down with your mouth. That's pride. That, that would be rooted in pride. It's also sin. Vanity, the underlying word here has the idea of panting, uh, a little bit like the puffeth that we saw above, uh, panting perhaps as with exertion against someone would seem to be the idea. Uh, the word in that sense is also translated elsewhere as unjust. Uh, unjust. So I have two words here that speak specifically to an effect of pride in our hearts. One of the effects of pride uh, in someone's heart, predictably, if they don't deal with that, is going to be sinful speech that will um, be intended to cut others down, to oppress them, to put them down, perhaps with the ultimate intention of taking advantage of them. That's sin. It's a consequence of not dealing with pride in our hearts. Uh, see verse 8. Uh, verse 8, 9, 10, I want to read these quickly. Um, talks about how pride not dealt with uh, can lead, uh, lead you to uh, a place where you, you just cook up schemes uh, that are designed to uh, take advantage of other people. You're not interested in uh, the consequences for, for other people. If you could pridefully take advantage of them somehow, some way, that's great for you because you're living for you. You don't care about them. Verse 8, he, this, this prideful person, 
uh, sitteth in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places doth he what? Murder the innocent. His eyes are privily set against the who? The poor. Those who have less. Uh, those who can perhaps more easily, more readily be taken advantage of because they have less. They have less money, less power, perhaps less authority, uh, less opportunity to defend themselves. What a wicked thing. What a prideful thing to take advantage of people who are in uh, less of a position to defend themselves. This consequence of pride. Verse 9, he lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor, uh, to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor. Um, when he draweth him into his net, he croucheth and humbleth himself uh, that the poor may fall by his strong ones. That's a poetic picture of pride motivating one to take advantage of others who have less, less ability to defend themselves against attack. Verse 11 reiterates that the wicked uh, pridefully assume that God will never deal with them. Just pride. He has said in his heart, verse 11, God hath forgotten. Uh, he hideth his face. He will never see it. So this first 11 verses here deal with uh, the characteristics of uh, a man, a, a person, a woman, a person who allows their heart to be filled with pride, uh, who does not repent of that, who does not deal with that, uh, there are spiritual and practical consequences. You will ultimately live for self uh, at the expense of others uh, who you perceive to be disadvantaged to you. That's just, it's just wicked. It's the exact opposite of the love that we are called to express, to live out toward one another. Uh, we, are, we are called, as, as you know, to be people who uh, are, are looking for and uh, to be aware of one another's needs, not looking for a, a weak moment in that person's life when I could sneak in uh, and, and take advantage of them. Uh, no, we're, we're to be looking for uh, weak times in, in the lives of fellow believers so that we can uh, humbly come and offer encouragement and offer practical help, uh, perhaps financial help when that's needed. And, uh, praise God, uh, our members have given so that we have a, a pool of finances to help when there's legitimate needs within our church family. Uh, and we can lovingly, because of your love, we can lovingly uh, help uh, when there's an appropriate opportunity to do that. This is what we're called to. Uh, pride left unchecked in our hearts discourages that love to which we are called. Um, what's God's answer for this? Well, we see here in the balance of the psalm, in the second half of the psalm, uh, the psalmist prays for the disadvantaged one, the oppressed one, the humble one. Uh, he prays. He prays that God would deal with the prideful, wicked oppressor, and he prays that God would help uh, the one who has been wronged by the wickedness of this one caught up in pride. Uh, looking to the Lord, not looking to government, uh, not saying, oh, you know, I've been, I've been oppressed and uh, I'm owed something from the government. No, we're... <laughs> That, that, that inclination, 
that message that society is throwing at us uh, specifically discourages us from looking to the Lord uh, as our answer. And boy, don't you just know, don't you just know tonight that uh, if the devil's not the author of that message, he is certainly pleased that that message has been adopted so broadly uh, in our society tonight. If, if you've been wronged, if you perceive some injustice against you because of some whatever, you, you, just, you, you have a claim uh, that the government must write that for you. They, they must take from uh, other people who had no involvement at all in your situation uh, and uh, make some equitable reparation in, to you in your life uh, so that uh, justice and equity uh, can be reestablished. No, that's, that's, not, a, that's not a biblical uh, mandate that is placed upon governments. It's just not. Uh, it's not something that government is called to. You can search scripture. You will not find that as a mandate, as a mission that God gives uh, to government. He calls us to treat each other equitably and justly. He does not call government to right the wrongs when we fail in that regard. Uh, what the Lord does teach us to do is to pray. Pray God will deal with the wicked oppressor and pray that God will bless me in my life. Uh, God will step in and uh, fill the hole that might be created by some wicked, prideful oppressor who took advantage of me and left me with less than I need. Pray that God will come in and, and meet that need. And he does. See verse 12. Here the psalmist prayed, Lord, would not forget the humble, uh, the godly ones uh, who are oppressed by the wicked. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up thine hand. Forget not the humble. Seek God. Seek God, not government. Uh, verse 13, we see the psalmist prayed, for our, uh, prayed regarding his understanding of the wicked um, will... Let me try that again. We'll see the verse. Verse 13, wherefore doth the wicked contemn... That word has the idea of scorn or despise or provoke God. Why do the wicked scorn or defy, de despise or provoke God? He said in his heart, thou will not require it. Uh, the psalmist reiterates that a consequence of pride in your heart is this uh, creeping belief that there'll never be any consequences. I'm the authority of my life. So psalmist prays about this. He, he understands this. God has given him this insight and uh, he just prays that over to God. Uh, this guy just acts like uh, he could just treat me badly uh, and there'll never be any consequences. What do we do with that? We'll take that and, and give that to God in prayer. God, I, you know, this, this, this hurts me. This, God, I, I just need to bring this to you in prayer and ask you to deal with this. Uh, verse 14, the psalmist prays regarding his understanding of the Lord sees oppression and, and ungodly, unrighteous injustice committed toward his people, and that in his time he does restore those uh, who have been harmed. Uh, verse 14, the psalmist prays this, he says to the Lord, thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite, to requite it with thy hand. Now you need to look at that word requite uh, quickly, please. Make a note in your Bible, if you don't have one already, that word means to give uh, but really has the idea of restoring. So if, if someone has taken advantage of you and gotten something from you unjustly uh, to uh, 
right that wrong is to requite that wrong. Uh, requite means the idea of giving, but has this um, connotation of restoration following some injustice, some, some wrong that was committed against you. So the psalmist prays again, thou hast seen it, Lord, for thou beholdest, you see, you see the wickedness, the pride, the, the oppression, the taking advantage of your people. Thou beholdest mischief and spite. Why? God, what? To requite uh, it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper uh, of the fatherless. One man says the greater thought here is that uh, those in need, those who have suffered some wrongdoing, uh, need to trust the Lord, and he intercedes on our behalf. That's what the psalmist is praying about there. He says, God, you know, you see all the wrongs that are committed anywhere. By the way, that includes ours too, right? Uh, God, you see all the wrongs that have been uh, performed against me. You see the injustice. God, you know about all the different kinds of oppression and taking advantage of people. God, you know that. I'm going to come to you tonight. I'm going to, I'm going to bring this and lay this at your feet tonight. And God, I'm going to look to you to be the writer of wrongs, the requiter of wrongs. And God is just that. That's why the Holy Spirit has had the psalmist to pen down that verse, because that is a big part of God's plan for his people when we are wronged by others. I understand there may be a role for civil government uh, to deal with the, the oppressor when it's a personal thing. I understand that. Uh, there could be some retribution against that person as provided for in civil law. There could be some restitution as provided for by civil law. That's a biblical principle also. That's the role of government when, uh, in a civil sense, when some individual wrongs another individual. That's okay. That's okay. Of course, we're not to bring lawsuits, civil lawsuits, against fellow believers. That's specifically prohibited in Scripture. Uh, but the law, nonetheless, remains available uh, to assist when, when there's been personal wrongdoing. Um, but we're not to look to government to right societal wrongs, larger societal wrongs, historical grievances, perceived social injustices at the societal or group level. No, we're called to look to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, you know what you've allowed for your purposes. God, I don't, I don't know all the purposes, but you know, you know what you've allowed for your purposes. By the way, think back, if you will, to the time of Christ there in the first century. Uh, was Israel, uh, was, was Palestine, were, were the Jewish people who were living in uh, the, the region of Palestine at that time, uh, were, they, were they not living under uh, the reign of uh, uh, an oppressor, a, a foreign government who was uh, fairly oppressive at times? Yes, they were. Yeah, the Romans, they, they most certainly were. I understand that um, God allowed the Romans to control that part of the world at that time for reasons. You understand that the Roman Empire provided uh, a relatively peaceful context into which Christ came. 
a relatively peaceful historical context that allowed the gospel to spread throughout the Roman Empire uh, in a relatively free manner. I understand that uh, Paul suffered persecution and there, there were um, persecutions. I, I understand that. But there was a relative peace uh, that was provided by the Roman Empire that allowed the gospel to spread relatively easily. Um, is it right to oppress people? No, it's not. But did God allow that for his purposes? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Uh, Jesus never taught that there would be an uprising against the Roman government. He just... He just taught that individuals should act godly toward one another. He just taught that individuals should act godly toward one another and that they should look to the Lord to be a writer of wrongs. Uh, that's, a biblical, that's a biblical principle. It's a biblical perspective. And praise God when we can see that. God will allow all kinds of injustices, personal injustices, um, national injustices. He allows that for his purposes. Does that make him an unjust God? No, it doesn't, because in the end, he is going to right every wrong. The oppressor is going to be dealt with in eternity, uh, and the oppressed one is going to be blessed in eternity. The wrongs that we experience this side of heaven uh, will be righted uh, in eternity. You see this uh, alluded to here in verse, verse 14. Uh, you see in verse 15, break the arm, this prayer uh, against the, the oppressor, break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. He prays that God will deal with the prideful, wicked oppressor, those that would take advantage of others. Uh, yeah, God's going to do that. That's why that verse is there. The Holy Spirit has shown the psalmist that God is a God who is going to deal with oppressors. He will mete out justice against them. Uh, and he's also going to mete out blessings to the ones who have been wronged by them. Uh, verses 16, 17, 18, we'll look at them very quickly and we're done. We're done. Um, I believe these verses probably look ahead prophetically uh, to the millennial kingdom. So after the rapture, after the seven-year tribulation period, after the return of Christ with us, there'll be a thousand-year reign of Christ uh, here upon a perfected earth. That's, be reminded tonight, please, that's a wonderful part of our hope. I believe we can see here in verses 16, 17, 18 that that is also uh, the time when the Lord will mete out justice and uh, blessings that will uh, be rewards to um, God's people for sure, uh, but would also seem to be offered in, in part uh, as a uh, performance of justice, um, righting the wrongs that God had allowed in the past for his reasons, uh, but now righting those wrongs, um, reestablishing uh, an, an equality of sorts, um, requiting the, the injustices that we suffered in a practical sense. Look, look first at verse 16. I want to just look at these very quickly and we're done. It says this, the Lord is king forever and ever. Not the prideful man who thinks he's king of his life, king of his world, and can do whatever he wants. No, the Lord is king forever and ever. And Christ, of course, is king of kings and lord of lords, and he'll rule as king throughout his millennial kingdom. Kingdoms have kings. That king will be the Lord Jesus Christ. He says the heathen are perished out of his land. Well, that'll be the case in the millennium. 
the heathen, the, the um, lost, those who refused Christ, uh, will be perished out of the land. They'll be gone. Uh, they'll be perished out. They'll be in hell. Uh, that, that's the case. Um, a day is coming when that will uh, literally be the situation. Of course, that'll be the literal situation in the millennial reign of Christ. Now look at verse 17. In that day, we see here the Lord will mete out righteous justice. Verse uh, 17, Lord, the psalmist prays, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou will prepare their heart. Thou will cause thine ear to hear. Verse 18, to judge the fatherless and the oppressed that the man uh, of the earth may no more oppress. No more oppress. There's a lot we could say if we had more time, but uh, verse 18 uh, makes it quite clear to me that there's a time in the future when God will, uh, he will right wrongs. He will right wrongs. I'll praise God for that tonight. We may continue to experience injustice this side of heaven. Uh, the Lord may allow some people to take advantage of other people. That's wrong. Not for God to allow that. It's wrong for people to do that. It's not wrong for God to allow that if his greater, righteous, just, loving purposes are accomplished in that and through that, uh, as was the case in the first century with Israel and the Roman Empire, just by way of example. Um, but there's a time coming when God is going to right these wrongs. He's going to deal with the wicked, unrepentant, prideful oppressor, and he's going to bless his people. He's just God. Please don't forget that. God may allow things that, that seem unjust, unjust, uh, this side of heaven. He allows that for a reason. But in the end, he's a God who requites wrongs and establishes a permanent, eternal justice. That's what we have to look forward to in the millennium, and I praise God for that. When we're wronged, um, pray, seek God's wisdom. But more than anything, seek God. Take the, take the, the situation to him. Uh, search the scriptures for practical responses. But ultimately, never forget that God will, in eternity, right wrongs. He's a just God. Uh, we don't need a social justice movement uh, to uh, perform greater injustice against one group in order to right perceived injustices against another group. That's not God's plan. They, that may seem right to men in their hearts, but that is not God's plan. God's plan is something very different. Let's stop there tonight. Father, I thank you tonight that uh, while there's a, a way that seems right to men, uh, your way is the right way. It always is the right way. Now, Father, I pray tonight no one's been offended by anything that I've said. Lord, that certainly would not be uh, my desire. Lord, I pray that nothing I've said tonight is, is not, um, that the enemy will not use it to divide us in any way. I pray tonight I've not been misunderstood in any way. Uh, Father, I pray tonight simply that uh, we be a people who would not give in to the, uh, the temptation to uh, seek the world's solutions. Uh, as your people look to the world and its example of, of having a king uh, when they chose Saul. God, you've called us to be a people who look into your word, your words, 
and find your solutions to the very real problems that exist in our world today. Lord, I understand there is injustice, there's racism, there's all sorts of terrible wickedness in, in the world today. Lord, help us to bring these things to you uh, to seek your answers. Help us, Father, to um, not act like the world toward one another, but to treat one another with love and uh, with justice. Uh, Lord, to treat each other the way you've called us to. Lord, when others outside of our church treat us wrongly, help us to bring it to you and help us to remember, please, Lord, please, that in the end, you are just God who will right every wrong. Father, I love you tonight. I thank you. I, I thank you tonight for my church family. I thank you for the uh, love and encouragement that I have known over the, these past two weeks. And I pray, Father, that you bless each one. Lord, I pray that... Uh, you help us to uh, get back here safely and wisely next week. Uh, Lord, if that's your desire, I believe it is. But we look to you for guidance and, and your wisdom. And Father, I know tonight we can count on that. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, if you have any questions or comments or feedback, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Uh, I appreciate that. Be happy to talk with you. Meanwhile, have a very blessed night. We miss you. Hope to see you very, very soon. God bless.